To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week I sat down and recorded another solo episode. Um, I recorded it all on backpack hunting, uh, something I'm super passionate about as, as I've harvested the majority of my critters through carrying everything I need on my back and going days on in in the middle of a wilderness or in the middle of the backcountry. Um, so this is a really fun episode for me. Uh, I got a little long-winded as uh, there's just a a ton of information to talk about here. And so, um, you know, I start out talking about gear and everything that's in my pack and uh, the reason why I've chose that piece of gear. And, and also like, there's so much that comes down to personal preference, or you'll hear me talk a lot in this podcast about comfort versus weight. And so I, I try to do a good job of describing what I use and why, but also, you know, other gear, other options that you could use in the benefits or the downfalls of that gear, or um, I, I guess advantages and disadvantages would be a better way to say it. Uh, I also talk uh, about challenges in the backcountry. Um, you know, safety and where you should camp. I talk about mindset. And, and then I talk about, you know, just how I go about hunting the backcountry. You know, when do I move? When do I camp? Do I hunt with my camp on my back? Do I set a base camp? You know, and so I, I try to cover all of that. And it, it's just this evolved backpack hunting style that I've come up with, you know, after doing it for so many years. So um, really fun one for me. I hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you can sit through the the uh, hour and 40 minutes that I talk about backpack hunting, but it's a good one. Um, our sponsor for today's show is Everly Stock Packs. Uh, Everly Stock's just a great company. Uh, I really like Glenn Everly. Uh, I've had a chance to, to meet him and talk with him, and then I'm really enjoying their packs. Um, I used the mainframe with a dry bag for a couple years, and uh, then I just I picked up a couple new packs uh, that I'm really liking. The little big top, um, it fits my needs as it comes in right around five pounds, packs the weight really well. It's around, um, don't quote me, I think it's around 3,000 cubic inches or right in there. You can also hook the little big top to the mainframe if you like the way the mainframe carries the weight. Um, I, I like the little big top on its own. Um, I also got one of their um, flagship uh, packs called their Battlefield or is it Battlefield or the Destroyer? Let me let me uh, just check this out so I can get this right um, because they have two different types. So I have the Destroyer. Um, they also make the the Battleship, which is a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier. But the Destroyer um, is what I'll use for for multiple day uh, endeavors. It it carries a. Uh, quite a bit more cubic inches but uh they just have some great packs they have great gear um i just saw on their website they have um some bivy sacks that actually keep the the bivy off your face those look pretty cool to me so um just a great company and and uh can't thank those guys enough for supporting the podcast um so make sure you support everly stock um over there at eastman's uh gosh got some really good podcasts coming up just released one today with brandon mason about float hunting um, that was a really cool one, and uh, we just got some some cool things in the works. Uh, we got a great promo right now, so we're getting into tag season, tag applications. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about that MRS. 
That's an amazing resource that I use all the time, and you only get the MRS if you're a subscriber. It's a member's research supplement, and it just break down, breaks down states and units and different species, and it, there's just a pile of great information in there. But right now, Eastman's is having a, a promotion where you can get both magazines, which um, the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal has six a year, and the Eastman's Hunting Journal has six a year, so you get both magazines, 12 issues, 20 bucks. Um, I saw the advertisement on uh, Instagram, but I'm sure you can call them up and say you heard it on the podcast or go on the website and get that same promotional deal, $20 for subscription to both magazines. So, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, you know, not to mention all the great articles that are in there, staff articles and then uh, our subscriber stories. Uh, just harvesting big deer and big bulls and, and then um, some of the special species as well, moose, sheep, and goat, and uh, every once in a while an antelope and a whitetail story in there. So um, just a great magazine, a great company to be a part of. So uh, if you don't have a subscription, uh, make sure you jump on that $20 for both magazines. And um, see, what else do I got going on over there at Eastman's? Yeah, just, um, you know, I had that Idaho hunt come out. Um, we're trying to get that... Uh, trying to get that Alaska caribou hunt um, all edited down. I've got a bunch of really cool footage there that I passed on to uh, Dan Picard, who um, helps run the Beyond the Grid there. So we're hoping that we can put that one out on Beyond the Grid for, for everybody to, to find and see. And I also, I heard um, one of my buddies, like, um, you know, the tough thing is, is a, a lot of us nowadays don't have TV. And so, you know, these three episodes that I've had come out on the outdoor channel and this last one this idaho hunt that i was really proud of um you know you you can't get it unless you have the outdoor channel well i found that um you can actually do a subscription to the outdoor channel and then view it through your computer so that may be an option for some of the guys that were asking how they watch uh, eastman's hunting tv so um all right i've been talking long enough even though you're going to hear me talk for an hour and 40 minutes more about backpack hunting, but let's get this podcast rolling. So it's all about back backpack hunting the, the back country here on Eastman's Elevated. Hey guys, solo podcast time. So I thought I'd sit down today and record a solo episode all about backpack hunting. Um, backpack hunting, it's a passion of mine. It's something I've been doing for the last 20 years. And, and really it's been the key to a lot of my success is, is the, the backpack hunting and, and also just the backpack mindset. Um, it, it's just a way to hunt these wildernesses and, and this back country, uh, where you can't use motorized vehicles and it's to use your leg power to, to put you deep into the to the backcountry, you know, where the biggest game animals live and, and be able to be effective. Um, it, it's definitely not easy. It's one of the toughest, most grueling hunts that you can do is a backpack hunt. You know, you can you can do the miles, but boy, you put that weight on your back and then you put on top of that climbing elevation and climbing mountains. And it's one of the most grueling things that I, that I've ever done in my entire life. And I, I think that's why I'm drawn to it as well. Um, you know, I've done marathons and ultra marathons and, and they don't hold a candle to the wind to what a 10 day backpack hunt, um, holds for me or, or puts me through. So, I just wanted to share with you guys, um, I, I want to go through gear, I want to go through mindset, I want to go through tactics, 
Um, I want to go through as much as I can. And I also put out a, a post this morning on Instagram and Facebook asking for questions, uh, specific questions that you guys want answered. Um, so I'll go through and I'll just talk about backpack hunting and try to cover everything I can think of. And then at the end of the podcast, uh, I'm going to go through and do like a question answer segment just to make sure that I covered all your guys' specific questions. But um, so passionate about backcountry hunting, uh, you know, the, the backcountry is where the, the biggest animals live. It's, uh, you know, it's away from access, away from roads, away from hunting pressure. And, you know, it, it seems like I could, I could get away from, from the people this way. It was a way for me to separate myself. And then, you know, I started finding these animals that we dream about, you know, as far as bucks, it was these wide ones, uh, bucks that would, that would score way above anything that I ever thought I'd ever have an opportunity at hunting, you know, and I started finding these bucks, I say wide, heavy stickers, kickers, inlines, you know, these bucks we dream about, they're out there and they're out there for the taking. It just takes these tough mountain hunts living out of your backpack to be able to be effective back there to have a chance at them. So I started getting into backpack hunting. My dad used to take me when I was young and, um, you know, it was back in the day where there, there wasn't much information. There wasn't as good a gear. Um, we went in way too heavy. We packed wrong, but man, did I have fun back in the wilderness. And so we started hunting this blacktail spot that was way back in, you know, at least it seemed way back in. I'm trying to remember as being a kid, but we would backpack in there and live for a long weekend or a week and we'd hunt blacktails back there. And, and it was just a riot. So when I moved to Montana at a young age, uh, I instantly started taking up backpack hunting and I started using it for around here for hunting elk. And uh, I would hunt these wildernesses and I'd be able to get away from all the people and find these elk that would actually call in and, and unpressured bulls and and uh, so I, I started going deep in the wilderness for extended trips, and that's where I really started to learn the right stuff to take. Um, a, a backpacker's mindset is definitely a minimalist mindset, so that's always the way I've been is just trying to cut weight, trying to cut weight. It Like every pound on your back, it just takes that much exertion out of you to make it up these mountains and to hunt effectively. And so I've always tried to go as light as I could go. Um, I'm always cutting things out and you, you need the essentials and you need to be able to survive and, and backpacking. It's this constant, this constant, uh, comparison or this, this constant mindset, uh, you know, what's most important to you or, or where do you draw the line between comfort and between weight? Uh, the more weight you have, the more comfortable you are. The less weight you have, the less comfortable you are. And so for the type of year or for the, the type of weather that you're going to encounter on this hunt, you know, that's that's where your your comfort versus weight mindset needs to be. And, and also we just all have different preferences, you know, as you know, for me, I um, as far as a sleeping pad, I would rather pack a few more ounces and have a comfortable sleeping bed and get a full night's rest than to wake up 10 times every night because my shoulders or my hips hurt or something where I'm not getting a good night's sleep and that way I'm sleep deprived. So I found over the years that, you know, I saving those few ounces uh, hurts me uh, more so than helps me. And so, you know, at, at every turn you have to analyze your gear and, and you know, weigh out uh, the comfort versus weight uh, dilemma. 
Um, but it, as far as a backpacker, I, I always keep a, a, you know, an ultralight mindset. I always want to go light. The less weight on my back, the more miles I can do, the harder I can hunt. And it just, man, it takes it out of me. So see, where do I start? Um, you know, cause I want to talk about uh, the gear and I want to talk about, um, the effectiveness of it and kind of my tactics. I think maybe we'll start out, um, with, with gear, and function and uses and pack weight and then I'll kind of dive into um, dive into what I look for in a backpacking spot how many miles uh, where you stick camp kind of tactics and things of that nature so um, as far as gear um, hunting deer um, mule deer I always have my scope and my tripod um, I've just found that you know I, I can't I'll spot a deer from a long ways off, and I want to be able to tell if it's a shooter or not. I, I want to be able to field judge a, a deer effectively from a long distance. And, you know, you can see a buck a long ways off with your binos and not know whether he's a shooter or not. And so you don't know whether to put that effort forth. And so I've always found for me that I like to have my scope when I'm mule deer hunting, that it's essential. Um... And, and, and maybe some guys that are just looking for a shooter buck, maybe you could get away with just using binos. But I also, I use my scope to glass distant terrain. So anything I can't pick apart with my binos or gets too far, I'll use my scope. Or the middle of the day when I'm picking apart shadows, I'll use my scope. Um, I, I also use my scope to keep track of a buck. You know, once I, I locate a buck I want to shoot, I get my scope on them so I can watch them walk by each bush. And, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bed them in an exact location. So I, I use my scope a bunch. And, and like I say, I found that it's essential on mule deer. Now elk hunting, um, there's times when I need it to field judge. Um, but I can pretty much get away with using my binos and cutting out that, that tripod and the the scope, um, it, it just seems like I can lose that weight and still judge elk, be able to tell, you know, what kind of six point I'm looking at and if it's a shooter or not. And so that's kind of my rule of thumb on the scope. So always have my scope on mule deer and I ditch my scope during elk hunting most of the time. Um, tripod, again, that's this you know, this, this comparison between, you know, your, your weight versus comfort is most of the time, but your weight versus function more so on tripod. And so, um, you know, I've, I found that, um, tripod, I don't want to pack too heavy one in the mount, uh, in the mountains, you know, the scope and the tripod are heavy enough, but also if you go too light on the tripod, it doesn't hold your scope still. And so, you kind of got to find this balance and find the right one that fits you for your needs. And so for me, if I can just have a tripod that I can use while sitting and get as lightweight as I can, I use a, boy, I'm not even sure what the head's called on it, but it's just like a pan head where you've got a, a loosen and a tighten and then a ball head in there that'll swivel around. It's about the lightest one you can go. Um, and, and I found... I think I'm using the the Vortex Summit right now as I think the one that I'm using and uh you know it it's not the best tripod in the world but I have found for backcountry you know it's the perfect combination of being steady enough to look through you know windy conditions and to be able to to keep an eye on mule deer and it's also light enough so that's been kind of the right mix for me but I probably owned uh, maybe a dozen different tripods over the years and tried a dozen different ones and so um you just, 
a lot of this gear comes down to preference and comes down to, to what you like. Some guys may pack more weight in their tripod to be steadier and be able to pick country apart better. Some guys may take a lighter weight tripod than I have to be able to cut weight and just figure I'm only using it for judging it and keeping track. I can lay down on my pack and look through this, this tripod or look through this scope. Um, so that's what you kind of got to weigh out when you're trying to figure out uh, what tripod you're going to use. And, and then let's start with the pack. Um, so packs, again, comfort versus weight. Um, you know, uh, um, for me, my mindset on packs has uh, always been I like to go lightweight. You know, a lot of these packs will start off at uh, seven, eight, nine pounds as a starting weight, and uh, that's just too heavy for me. You know, I'd rather start out at a, or I'd rather have a starting weight that's around three to five pounds and again you can go too light here and i have and i paid for it um you know i used to use those uh osprey packs quite a bit and um you know i just would go too light with those things i mean i think they have a three thousand cubic inch that's under three pounds i think i went for the one that was right at three pounds and and it worked well for me it was lightweight and it would pack 30 to 50 pounds well once you get those heavy loads on it that's where you would have troubles it would pack them but it was not comfortable um and so you know i i found myself you know it was it was putting too much strain on me to save that pound or two and so I, I kind of went to a heavier style pack, um, you know, that, that packed the weight a little bit better, like a four to five pound where I could pack those heavy loads uh, more effectively. And, and then the 30 to 50 pounds was more comfortable. And so that's kind of been the right mix for me is that starting weight around four or five pounds. Um, and as far as cubic inches, I mean, everybody's different. The better you get at backpacking, the more you can fit in a small space. And so I've been able to fit my extended hunts all in about 3,000 cubic inches, 3,500 cubic inches. Um, I can pack, you know, five to seven days. Five days fits really nice in there. If I get a deer, I've got room for that. Um, seven to 10 days, it starts getting a little tight, but I can make it happen. I can, I can make do and make it work. Um, you know, the, I have had bigger packs before the, the, the 6,000, the 7,000 cubic inch, and you can fit everything in them and, and they are nice for that. Um, you definitely want one that cinches down too. So when you get back into the back country and you set up your camp, you can hunt with a day pack and be able to carry everything you need. And it compresses down. So you don't have a giant pack that you're trying to day hunt with. But, um, so for me, I can make 3,500 work. Um, you know, for the average guy, I'd say 3,500 or 3,000 would work to about five or six days, and then you may want to step up to a, to a big, bigger cubic inches to make make sure you can get everything in it. Um, you know, when you're when you're loading your pack, uh, loading your pack is an art form. Um, you know, loading it the right way. You want the heaviest stuff close to your back, and uh, you know, usually in the bottom of your pack, and then the the lighter puffier stuff on the outside uh, and you want to stack it as close as your back as you can and then every time I get on my pack with a new load on it I'm adjusting my pack and what I do is I stick it on with all the straps loose and uh, first thing I do is I cinch my hip belt right around my hips and I cinch that tight next thing I do is I cinch my shoulder straps 
um, to where I like them. Next thing I do is I click my chest harness. And then what I do is your, your load lifter strap, which is right above your shoulders. Um, then I'll pull my load lifters down. And then um, usually most packs have a hip tightener as well that'll put the you know, uh, pull that load into your hips and then I'll do my, my hip loaders and I'll, I'll put that on. And then as I'm hiking, you can move that weight from your shoulders to your hips. I mean, you do want it on your hips, the majority of the weight, but your hips will also start to wear, your legs will start to wear like on, on uphills and things. And so I'll give my hips a break and I'll loosen that a little bit, put more on my on my shoulders and then, you know, uh, and then I'll take some off my shoulders, put it on my hips. So, I, you know, I can constantly change this weight around to uh, fit the, the terrain that I'm hiking and, and also the, you know, my comfort. So I like to adjust my loads that way um, as far as what's in the pack. So let's go with there. So let's go sleeping systems. Um, so first off is a tent. And so, like I say, it comes down to preference. Like anything will work. Um, I'll give you my preferences. Okay. So a bivy sack, um, bivy sack is the lightest weight you can go. Um, I've used a bivy sack quite a bit before and I, I used to use them all the time, but boy, when you get in a rainstorm or a snowstorm and you just got a bivy sack to shove your face in and you're breathing inside them and condensation, um, they just don't sleep the best to weather storms. Um, you know, I, I've also found like mosquitoes and things, you know, if it's hot, like you can't have the face opener, you like the, the, uh, you know, you zip it all the way over your head and you're too hot. Well, you unzip it and leave it down. Then the mosquitoes are getting on your face at, at night and you look like elephant man when you wake up. So that's no good either. Um, so I, I've just found that they're tough sleeping systems. Now they do have their function and they do have their use. So where I'll use a bivy sack is if I look at the weather and it's pretty good weather, like it's not going to rain, and I know I'm doing a lot of traveling, or like I use it a lot for scouting when I go for a weekend scouting trip. I know I only got to spend one or two nights in it, and I'm going to be on the move with, with my pack on my back. And so I can just set out a bivy sack, throw my sleeping bag in it, you know, have a pad there that I'm sleeping on, and, and instantly I'm asleep and can get good sleep and get rest, and then I'm up and moving the next day. It doesn't take me too long to pack up my, my sleep system, and, and I'm on the move again. So that's where I found where it's worked really well. If I'm going for like three to five days, uh, I won't bring a bivy sack. Or if I know that I'm I'm getting into bad weather, I won't bring a bivy sack. I mean, a bivy sack is also nice. You can set it up on a really small footprint. I mean, all you really need is a deer bed and you can fall asleep in it. So they do have their uses. For longer trips, I wouldn't recommend them. Um, the next is like probably my favorite pick. Um, and again, if you're... So it's a bivy tent, and bivy tents are like lightweight, single-wall design. Usually they set up with a trekking pole, and, um, you know, you have to deal with condensation in these a little bit. The designs have got better where they'll breathe, and to get rid of condensation, you want ventilation from the bottom, and then you want it to go through the top. And so you keep this air moving through, and the air moving through moves the moisture so it doesn't rest right on your tent walls. Um you know, conditions also play a big part in condensation, um, you know, whether you got wind up there on the ridge. So, you know, I'll go with a bivy tent and I'll deal with uh, the condensation. If it's not going to rain, I'll leave the door open. That gets a lot of ventilation through there so it won't condensate as bad. 
And, and I've just found that I can ride out rainstorms. I can ride out snowstorms. I keep a good, um, you know, anytime you get a tent, they use such thin fabrics as you want to make sure that you waterproof your tent and uh, waterproof it every year with some spray-on stuff or I think that's about the best stuff is the spray-on stuff is what I use. And there's a bunch of different brands out there. can't remember exactly which brands I use. Is I, I probably buy a new one every time I go into the sporting store. But find a good waterproofer. I mean, there is nothing worse. Like your your tent is your shelter. Your your tent is your safety in the backcountry. Your life is is relying upon it. If, if your sleeping bag gets wet, if you get wet, you could be in real trouble. And it could end your hunt no matter how tough you are. Like uh, hypothermia is a, is a real danger so um definitely want to make sure that they're waterproof i always kick out a really good spot for my tent as i want to have as flat a spot as i can so i can sleep good at night um but but i go with the the bivy tent is usually my number one choice um you know this year i think i'm using a, a hilleberg um, I've used Six Moon Designs before. They make a good bivy tent. This year, the Hilleberg, it's kind of like a, I, th- I believe it's called, they call it a three-season tent, but it's it's about as light as a bivy sack or, yeah, I mean, it's under three pounds, so, I mean, it's as light as a bivy tent. Um, some of those bivy tents I was using were at a pound and a half, but then you also have to get stakes and you have to bring a trekking pole. So I'd say the bivy tent comes in somewhere around two pounds, give or take. Um, the next step up uh, is a is a three season double wall design, and the three season double wall design really manages condensation well, gives you a, a good shelter. Oh, that's another thing. Um, let me let me go backwards here. So the bivy tent, the ones I like to use have a bathtub floor in them. And a bathtub floor just seals from any water getting in. I mean, sure, if it's soaking wet underneath your tent, it's going to soak through. But it, it just keeps that out. And then, you know, what it, what it really – I mean, it doesn't allow um, – uh, floorless tents, they have their purpose, and they're the lightest weight uh, of the of the bivy shelters. You know, they're kind of like a bivy sack, only you have a shelter. And I've used them quite a bit before. You know, they work good in the right circumstances, but a lot of places that I'm hunting, like, uh, gosh, when I, you know, I hunt this one spot that has um, huge spiders that are crawling around all night, like tarantula size. I mean, I don't need those things in my sleeping bag. I've also slept in the backcountry where the, the mice are bad, where they're running over you. I mean... Sure, they're not climbing in with you, but I don't know. It just takes away from that that sleep that you're getting worrying about it, you know. So um, also the floorless type shelters are not good for mosquitoes. So in the early season where you may encounter some mosquitoes, you know, that, that floorless shelter, man, oh, man, you're going to be in a world of hurt as those mosquitoes are going to get in there and wreak havoc on you all night long. And so uh, for me, I tend to go away from the floorless shelters, and I like like a lightweight bathtub floor and a sealed design for mine. So that's what I try to look for. Um, now let me jump forward to the three-season tents. Now the three-season tents, you gain some comfort. Um, you, you also... Like like your shelter's just more stout. You can you know they're they're um, self-supporting. They set up real easy. Where the bivy tents, you know, they set up easy, but it takes some time to get used to them and and uh, get used to how you set them up and to get everything taunt and tight and to uh, shed water like you want and and um, shed snow like you want. So the the three season tents. 
Um, they set up, they're freestanding, um, they, they're usually a double wall design which takes care of a lot of the condensation issues. Uh, they also usually have a vestibule. A vestibule, you you know, is like an outside storage that you can store your your pack and your gear so that doesn't get wet. Um, so they definitely have their place. You just have to add a pound or so, and if that pound is worth it for you, then a three season tent may be the way to go. They also make four season tents. Um, these would be used in like the winter time or adverse conditions uh, to weather storms. Um, you know, to tell you the truth, I have never owned a four-season tent. It seems like if I get into the late season, you know, I want some sort of a tent with a heat source in it. I want a little mini stove. And, and nowadays they make some of these things so you can backpack a little teepee with a stove or a little single-man design with a stove. Now, a lot of these you can't have with a floor in them because the stove would burn out the floor. And so these are a lot of times the floorless shelters. But if you're using it in the wintertime, you usually don't have many problems with bugs and so I'll tend to go that route with a, um, you know, a teepee or a mini uh, baker st- uh, setup, which is like a mini wall tent uh, with a stove. But um, I think there, there's quite a few companies like Seek Outside and things that are making these these floorless shelters with a stove. So if you're going to be hunting in the late season, that's the route I would go. The four season tents, um, you know, they're just built a little bit more burly. Uh, they don't breathe quite as well. Um, yeah, I, I just, um, for us hunters, um, you know, unless you're just looking for an absolute, absolute bomb proof tent, you know, I guess you could make it in the four season, but it just gets cold like that. And it feels to me like you need heat and a fire outside is only good to a certain temperature, you know, pretty soon when it starts getting 10 degrees and the wind's blowing or zero degrees and the wind's blowing, you got to have some warmth in your shelter. So, um, that's usually the route I go for tents. Uh, let's go for pads. So right now I'm using a C to Summit Comfort Plus. Um, I like it. So it's comfortable. It blows up really easy. So here's the good points about it. It's comfortable. It blows up easy. Um, it has an insulating value like R5, which an insulating value makes a huge difference at keeping warm. It's not only your sleeping bag, it's your pad. Your pad insulates you from the ground, and, and the ground will rob you of your heat. So a pad is absolutely essential for me. Now, I use a blow-up pad, and then I keep a, a patch kit with me at all times. So if I do patch it, I or if I do pop a hole, I can patch it. Um, so I like a comfortable pad and I may even shop for, for even a better pad next year. I've been using this one for like two or three years and I've been really happy with it. The only downside I have of it, so it's really neat. It doesn't take much air to blow up. And so you're not sitting there huffing and puffing to get your pad blown up every night. The other thing is it's got a secondary release valve, so when you want to let the air out of it, you don't got to get all your weight on it and roll it up, and you know it takes forever to get all the air out. This one airs up really quick and airs down really quick, and it's got like these, um, oh, how do I explain it? Like these compartments that are full of air in it, like bubbles of air. Uh, the only downside I have found to this mattress is that you lose air overnight no matter which mattress you have. Um, so the warm air that you blow in it to blow it up is warm. And then throughout the night that air cools down and it, uh, you lose air out of your mouth. You're not actually losing air. Like the air, let's see, what am I, a scientist trying to explain, (laughs) explain this? But I, uh, like as it over the night, like the lower temperature of the air makes it so where it seems low, makes it feel like you're losing air. So when you wake up in the morning, it doesn't have as much, 
um, cushion to it. So, you know, maybe in the middle of the night it doesn't sleep as good. Now, I, I've i been able to deal with it, and it's fine. I can sleep throughout the night. I do find it gets a little low by morning, um, but it hasn't been a big deal for me. The the Sea to Summit Comfort Plus has, uh, you blow it up on both sides of it, so it's got two different air chambers in it. Um you know that would be the only downside that I that I'd see to it, um, but I really do like the air mattresses. I like an R value, and I'll pack a little bit more weight in my mattress to be comfortable and sleep throughout the night. Um, I've been sleep deprived on these hunts before. Like I remember this one that I did where I did um, see we did Colorado and Wyoming back to back, 16 days of backcountry hunting in a row, and uh, I was so sick of sleeping on my mattress by the end of that thing. Um, I was waking up 10 times a night. My hips were hurting. My shoulders were hurting. I was sleep deprived and I, I just, um, I wasn't getting as good, good a nights of sleep. And that was, I mean, that was the one complaint I had on that hunt or the one thing I would have changed is just to be more comfortable at night. And so that's why I went to this more comfortable air mattress and they make a lot of good ones out there. And, uh, I think I own four or five air mattresses, and I'll probably own another one at the end of the year. I'm always trying out new ones. This is so important for a good night's sleep. So um, that's that for air mattresses. We've covered tents and now sleeping bags. Uh, Sleeping bags, they give you a comfort rating. Um, The comfort rating is usually like – or they give you like a rating. Like say it's a 30-degree bag. Usually a 30-degree bag, you're comfortable in it to about 40 degrees. So you always want to size up, and I, you know, just like everything, I own three different sleeping bags. I own a zero degree, a fifteen degree, and a thirty degree. Now, when you're buying, when you're buying sleeping bags, I think you get what you pay for. I try to go with the better brands, and then you know their their comfort rating or their their comfort is close to their temperature rating or closer. Now, there's ways to cheat this. Um, you know, if you got a sleeping bag and you know it's going to be down to the edge of it, I'll shove a jacket down in my foot box of my sleeping bag. And that helps me keep my feet warm. I also sleep with socks on. I think you always sleep warmer. Like there's this old, there's this old um, this this old saying or this this old. Um, deal where you know i've heard this uh i've heard this repeated from a few different people that if you sleep naked you keep warmer than if you sleep with clothes um i do not believe that's true you definitely sleep warmer with clothes on and so you know depending on what type of night it is and how you sleep like too many clothes and you don't sleep that well like if you got pants and you got you know your jacket on well you just got all this clothing inside your sleeping bag and so you don't sleep that well and so I like to go with like one layer, like a pair of long john socks, and then, you know, I'll wear like a a small hooded sweatshirt on top that I can pull the hood over. Or if it's really warm, then I'll sleep in a t-shirt. But um, definitely sleeping in clothing ups the rating of the sleeping bag. So if you know it's going to get right down to the limit, you know, you can wear more, more clothes. And it's you know, part of it is is bringing the right sleeping bag for the conditions that you're going to encounter. So like on my scouting trips, a lot of times it doesn't get colder than 40 degrees, 45 degrees. And so I'll bring that 30 degree bag and I'll be able to save weight. Thing only weighs a pound. Uh, most of my hunts, I'm bringing that 15 degree bag, which is good to 25. So this covers a lot of my mule deer hunting, a lot of my elk hunting as it gets later into September, or if I'm going to encounter some bad snowstorms, um, you know, then I'll bring the zero degree bag. And then definitely as I get hunting mule deer in, in October and November, I'm bringing that zero degree bag so I can keep warm. 
Um, let me just pause this just for a second, guys. Bear with me. I'll keep this thought going. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, so, yeah, talking about sleeping bags, I had to pause it there. Gosh, I had too much coffee this morning right before I started the podcast. But um, So, yeah, so that kind of covers sleeping bags and, and comfort and what you choose for your hunt. And, um, you know, again, if you can only have one sleeping bag, you know, you, you pick one that's going to be universal. Uh, the other thing I do with sleeping bags is when it gets really cold, like in November, is all shove a sleeping bag inside a sleeping bag. Uh, like I did it on my Alaska hunt as well as it was really cold and wet. And uh, so I'll bring my 30 degree bag and I'll shove it in my zero degree bag. And I'll do the same thing when I'm cold weather hunting. Um, this doesn't really pertain to backpack hunting, but when I'm cold weather hunting like in November and I know it's going to get cold, I'll also double up my sleeping pad. I'll throw down two pads and then two sleeping bags and I'll sleep through the night like a baby. Um, so, so just a, a little tip for that, um, for that late season hunting. So we've been through sleep systems, uh, you know, tent, sleeping pad, sleeping bag, pack. Those are the essential items. Um, so, so let's move to clothing. And, you know, again, this just depends on, on what time of year you're hunting. Um, so most of the time what I'll run is I'll run, um, you know, and you have to be a minimalist. You're, you're backpacking. You bring too much stuff and you're 60, 70 pounds. You're not going to be able to backpack into the, into the spots that you want to get to, to be effective back there. You're just carrying so much weight. And so for me, it's always a minimalist mindset. So for clothing, um, I, I pretty much can make, um, two t-shirts work, um, you know, sometimes I go three if I'm going 10 days or something like that. But usually the shirt I'm wearing and another t-shirt or maybe two. Um, and I'll change that out. And those shirts will collect a lot of the sweat and smell. And then after that, I always run a sun hoodie. Um, I usually have one to two of those. They're pretty lightweight. Um, so one to two uh, sun hoodies that I'll throw on. Um, you know, and if I'm wearing t-shirts underneath, I can usually get away with one sun hoodie and I won't sweat it out too bad by the end. I mean, you know, sure by the end of 10 days, it's, it's not going to smell like perfume, but, um, I can usually make it work. Um, and then I, I usually run, um, one hooded fleece. So it's just a heavier weight hoodie, um, that I'll run. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I'll throw in a vest or sometimes I won't. Usually I won't. I'll, I'll run that hoodie, then I'll run a puffball jacket, and then I'll run a rain jacket or a shell. Um, so that's what I'll run uh, upstairs. Usually just run one baseball hat. If it's going to get really cold, I'll run a sock hat. But uh, lately, like the, I just run these hoods, and I have a hood on my puffball, and I have a hood on my uh, on my hoodie, of course, and and so I'll just pull my hood over my ears, and this will keep me warm and regulate my temperature. Um, usually run like two to three pairs of socks. Uh, run smart wool socks, um, and I'll I'll just change them out. I can usually make a pair of socks last two days. Um, if I got a crick nearby, I can wash a set and dry them out, and then I'll have them towards the end. And so, you know, three days, uh, three pairs of socks is, is pushing it on a 10 day or I'll probably go with like four pairs if I'm going on a 10 day or, but, but usually one pair of socks per two days will last me. Um, I, I like like the lightweight quick drying pants. You know, lately I've been running the Sitka, um, let's see what's their, their lightweight 
Their, their Ascent pan is the one I've been running lately. I really like that pan. It works really good. But it all depends on the season you're running. The later the season, the heavier the pan I, I'll bring. And then I, I always bring long johns. Even on warm weather hunts, I have a pair of long johns that I can put underneath. And, um, you know, depending on the, the hunt I'm doing, I'll either bring a real lightweight pair or a heavier pair. Um, but I always have that for my legs. And then, um, as far as, um, shoes or boots, you know, again, personal preference. And, um, how many times have I said personal preference in this podcast, but it's, um, it's, it's really what you like to wear. And, and I say what you wear all year round is what you should wear hunting. And some guys need a, you know, a, a stiffer boot for, for in the mountains. I have really strong ankles. I try to go as light as I can. I mean, a pound on the foot is like 10 on the back. And you think of, you know, on a, on a hard day of hunting, you may do 20,000 steps. Well, if you've got an extra pound on your boots, you know, that's 20,000 extra pounds you lifted that day. I mean, think you're going to be a little bit more tired at the end of the day. You know, you're right. You will be. So I always try to go as light as I can. I always go waterproof to keep my feet dry. And then also it keeps dust out of them. And so for me, I mean, I wear a lightweight, you know, waterproof running shoe a lot of the times, um, or a lightweight, like a, a low height, like a, I think they call it a low height boot or a mid height boot. Um, but I try to go as light as I can. Now there's something to also be said for a stiff boot, like a mountaineering boot. And the guys that like those, um, you know, I ran them for years too, and they do work well as you're backpacking in the mountains and they're, they're so stiff that when you step, they almost propel you down the trail. They almost push your leg forward. And, uh, so there is some benefits to these stiffer boots. Also, they're better in side healing. Also, you can dig your, your toes in. You slip less. And, and so there is a lot to be said for these mountaineering boots, and a lot of guys like them. You know, I'm also bow hunting, so I'm trying to sneak up on things. And so, you know, sometimes I'll bring stocking shoes, um, like a lightweight pair of minimalist runners. Um, but a lot of times I won't, I'll be stocking in the shoes I'm hunting in. And whether that's a lightweight boot or a lightweight shoe, I want it flexible. So it'll give, um, one second here, guys. Um, I got my, my dog in the room with me. He's chewing on a bone. I just don't want that to come through on the podcast. So let me, let me pause again here real quick. Okay. See if I can do the rest of this without pausing. Uh, I could just hear him chewing on that thing back there and I didn't want it to come through in the audio. Um, but, uh, so yeah, on, on boots, I like to go really lightweight. Um, usually bring a, a set of gaiters with me. Sometimes it's just a lightweight pair of gaiters to keep dust and dirt out of there. Also the wet grass in the morning. Um, depends. If I know I'm going to get snow, then I'll bring my, my heavier weight gaiters. It just keeps the bottom of my pants dry and, and uh, keeps water from getting in my boots or snow from getting in my boots. So I always like to run some gaiters too. But that that pretty much – oh, yeah, underwear. <laughs> you do need underwear too. I, I do not just free ball the entire hunt. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I usually try to make these last as well. So, um, you know, I'll bring a couple – two three pairs uh you can always turn them inside out you always run them that way too so um that's what i run for uh, my clothing um and, and then like let's go over like stove um so a lot of times you know if i'm going for five days or under a lot of times i will opt to not go with my stove i just cut so much weight out with my stove and my gas and then cookable foods and it seems like i can make my food work and last but you know it seems like i can drop like a solid three four pounds off my pack by not bringing that stove if i'm going over five days i'll usually bring my stove unless i know that i've just got to do a ton of miles or something like that i 
I remember doing this Nevada hunt and, uh, second time I hunted Nevada, but first time hunting this mountain range. And I, you know, I did all my scouting, uh, via Google earth and, you know, through my house, I, I wasn't able to go down there and scout as it was too many hours away in the summertime. And so I kind of made my game plan and I showed up to that trailhead and there had to be a hundred rigs in that trailhead. There was bow hunters walking around everywhere. I thought, Oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? But I had this game plan of where I was going to go and where I was going to continue to look. And so, you know, I, I, you know, bow hunters asking me where I'm going to hunt and, and what I'm going to do. And they were nice enough. I was just like, man, I, I don't know. I think I'm going to walk for a couple of days before I start doing anything to get away from all you jokers. But, um, I, so instantly at the trailhead, seeing all these cars and all these people, I knew I had to do a bunch of miles and it was a 10 day hunt. Uh, you know, I took my stove out, all my cookable foods and, and then put in dry foods in there just so I could cut that weight so I could do more miles. And it, and it worked out. I ended up traveling for two days, started finding bucks, and then I found um, some big mature bucks. But I was over 20 miles from the truck where I killed my buck, and, and I killed him like on the seventh or eighth day. It was just an unbelievably awesome backpack hunt. Um, but it was all due to being lightweight and being able to travel the, travel those miles. So um, what was I getting at? Oh, my stove. So, um, yeah, so I'll ditch my stove if I can, if not, I'll bring my stove. Um, you know, if I've got a lot of meals planned with my stove and, and also for coffee, um, you guys know how much I love coffee in the mountains. So, um, I try to bring my stove if I'm going for more than five days or an extended trip. Um, and then water filtration. So I've played around with this over the years. Um, I, I've had a pump before. I actually got Jardy off using a pump before. I think they work pretty good. I've just got some, I've got some water out of some dirty holes, like some, some elk wallows. And, um, you know, I've, I've just had to get some water out of some spots that were less than ideal. But, um, for the most part, the pumps work pretty good. The pump, the advantage is, is you can pull water out of a, a real low flowing stream pretty easily. You got to make sure it doesn't get clogged full of dirt or mud. They can always get clogged up and you can fight them, but they work pretty good. They're a little bulky in your pack. Um, lately I've been using, um, the pen. So it's a fluorescent pen, um, that uses ultraviolet light to, um, it just kills all the, um, all the bacteria or all the stuff in your water. Um, so you use this light for a minute. Um, only downside to it, it takes a little while. Like it, I think it's two minutes for a liter or something like that, that you got to stir it around, but it's really lightweight. doesn't take up much spot, much space in your pack. It does run off batteries. It is mechanical. So therefore it can break. Um, I always like to have some iodine tablets, uh, in my pack is just a backup safety in case I break my filter. I can always use those, but I don't like to run them as my only source uh, of uh, water filtration just because, uh, you know, I don't like the taste of it. Uh, it taints the water you're you're drinking out of these pristine mountain streams and then it just tastes like chemical. You know, it's like it doesn't do it for me, but I do keep them as a backup. Um, so I like the, the little lights been working good for me. Uh, if you got a buddy or if you got to do a bunch of water, it can be a pain and take a little time. Um, but you know, it takes a little time with the pump as well. Um, I've also seen, um, some guys running these, uh, gravity fed filtration systems. Those things look pretty cool. Um, and, and also like a little backpacking straw is a good thing to have in your pack where anytime you come across a stream, you know, you're filling it up and, Water management in in the backcountry 
it is such a huge piece to the puzzle, especially high country deer. I mean, elk as well, you can kind of fill up and elk live around water. And so when you cross water, you can fill up. But, um, when you're hunting and you're you're going around with your day pack, it's a good idea to have your, your filter with you and then stuff that'll carry water. And, um, yeah, water management is a tough one. So I, you know, and you guys have heard me talk about, I've got more comments about that I can use 32 ounces of water a day and then I can live up on the mountains longer. And I, I can do this, I can sustain it for three, four, five days pretty easily, 32 ounces a day. And then when I fill up my water, then of course I, I'm gorging on water. Like I'll drink a, I'll drink a hundred ounces while I'm there and fill up all my water. But, um, you know, I, I try to budget like 50 ounces a day works for me, and I know that's not what works for everybody. I, I don't know if it's because of my smaller size or, you know, because I run so much or, you know, I'm not sure genetic or what it is, but I just don't use that much water. I'm, I'm able to kind of ride the line and uh, use less water, but you need to be able to carry water with you. Um, you need to be able to carry three days of water with you. And so you can kind of live up on the high peaks and, and not live around water, live up where the mule deer live and be able to chase them around. And in a lot of the best spots I find, there isn't much water around and, and the deer can live there. Humans cannot, they can make it up there with their 32 ounces of water. They use it and then they got to get down to get water or go to a spot that has water or camp by a lake. And so you know, this has always been a secret of mine is I just, I'm able to pack enough water with me, you know, get it to a spot and then live there and then, you know, fill up my water as need be, you know, every three days or so. Um, and, and I'm able to live where the mule deer are and, and, uh, hunt spots that other guys can't hunt. So that's a, a big trick that I use. Water management is, is giant in the backcountry, especially hunt mule deer. Um, so let's go over some of the smalls. I just don't want to miss anything. So water containers, um, usually I'll bring like two Nalgene's and then I'll bring a hundred ounce um, water bladder. So that way I can store 160 ounces. That's three days worth of water for me. Um, so make sure you can pack water. Another thing I do is I usually have a little 10 ounce bottle that'll fit in my pocket. And when I go on a stock and I want to be lightweight and not bring my pack, I'll just stick that water bottle in my pocket and then I'll make my play on the mule deer. And then I've only got 10 ounces, but it'll just keep me from getting a dry mouth and coughing on the stock, or it'll just get me enough water to get me through the stock. You know, even if, you know, if the stock takes three or four hours, I've got a little bit of water on me so I can survive. So I always do like a little 10 ounce water bottle that I'll keep in my pocket for uh, stocking. Um... Let's go over some of these smalls here. Always have a fire starter kit. Um, you know, I, I just always have a, a, you know, a lighter and some fire starter. I've used a bunch of different types. So, you know, whatever, it, it, it doesn't really matter. They all work or seem to work. You might want to test them before you go, but I always carry a fire starting kit with me. Um, that way you can dry out and keep warm if need be. And I don't have a fire every night, especially not um, mule deer hunting. But when it gets cold or when it gets rainy or you need to dry out, fire is life. Um, so, uh, always nice to have that or essential to have that. Um, I got a question on my, on my, um, safety gear or my, um, med kit or what do I call that? My, um, my, uh, first aid kit. So, um, I'm not the best at my first aid kit. Uh, you know, I had somebody asking, um, you know, I saw that the, uh, Instagram comment this morning asking about first aid kit and what I bring. I'm, I'm just a minimalist. I, um, you need to have, 
you need to have everything that's essential, but I'm not going to pack a bunch of extra stuff with me. So usually what I have is I've got, you know, a little roll of tape, either athletic tape or a little bit of duct tape. I'll wrap around a pen or something like that. So I'll have some tape on me. Um, I usually have some, some Advil or some, some pain reliever there. Um, I'll bring a few of those. Um, I do think it'd be a good idea to bring like some Benadryl in that. Um, I haven't been real good about bringing it, but my cousin about died last year. He's a, he's a medic and he was riding his bike up in the national forest and got stung by a couple bees up there. And I don't know if his, his heart rate was up so high. Um, but he got in real danger and his, his throat started to swell up and he actually thought he was going to die up there before he could get help. He had to really focus on his breathing. And so something like that happens, you know, a, a Benadryl may be a lifesaver. So, uh, that's probably going in my pack this year. Um, I also always have a, like a little bit of super glue, or like my patch kit for my um, for my mattress. Anytime when you're backpacking, if you can use multi-use things, you know, where you can get more than one uses out of it, uh, super beneficial and keeps you lightweight. So that's pretty much it for my first aid kit. A um, little bit of tape, Advil, Benadryl will be added to it. A um, little super glue, and uh, that's about it for me. I, I figure I can doctor anything up I need to doctor up with that. Um... See, yeah, always make sure you never forget your fork or your spoon. That's uh, always um it's always tough to eat cereal without a fork or without a fork. <laughs> you use forks to eat your cereal uh without a spoon uh for like soup and oatmeal and um and stuff of that nature. Um so yeah, I uh I'm just trying to think of all the smalls I bring, you know. I always have my camera, I always have a couple extra batteries, extra SD cards. Um see what else do I got in there I'm just just trying to think of everything and you know every time I get done with a backpacking trip I lay out all my gear on a tarp or on a canvas and I look at it and I look at what I didn't use and what I need I'm just trying to go as light as possible I feel like I'm feel like I'm missing something major here I mean definitely missing food I haven't talked over food and food's a tough one um you have to have stuff that's palatable for for up in the mountains you have to feel like eating it and an altitude is an appetite suppressant so you know you're not hungry up there um but you got to keep calories coming in you got to take care of yourself so you can continue to hunt hard come day eight day nine day ten so you have to take good care of yourself up there and so for food um you know i used to shoot for like around three thousand calories a day and i was just coming out with too much food in the end and so you know i i've kind of down that a little bit to where i shoot for about two thousand twenty two hundred calories a day and uh, some of my main staples, you know, I love oatmeal. I love, um, I do this pre-made cereal, so I put it in a Ziploc bag. So there's no, there's no cleanup. There's no dishes, but a Ziploc bag. I do granola and powdered milk, and then just add water to it. And with the granola, I'll throw in berries and nuts and things of that nature. And yeah, I can get a bunch of calories, like a thousand calories out of that. So that's a a major staple for me. And then. Um, yeah, let's see. I uh, I run a lot of snack stuff. It seems like you're on the go a lot when you're hunting the backcountry, and so um, yeah, a lot of snacks, a lot of jerky, a lot of uh, trail mix, um, nuts. Um, you know, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll I'll bring some dried fruit, dried apples, dried berries. Um, I've always got just a little bit of sugar and candy in my pack, so. Uh, you know, if I'm being completely honest, like, oh, that stuff just tastes so good up there. Like, uh, um, you know, and and I found, too, that like these these um, 
power bars or like these uh, protein bars and that stuff. And you look what's in them and they pretty much got the same stuff in a Snickers bar and it tastes better. So I opt to go on the size of, the side of a Snickers bar for me. Um, so I do bring a little candy and sweets in there, but um, I try to eat whole foods. I try to eat good. Like I'll bring, um, uh, you know, also do like uh, bagels and, and uh, um, with bagels, you know, you can get uh, cream, cream cheese will last a couple days. And, um, you know, so I can bring some of that in. Uh, you can get the jams at the restaurant, put some jams on it. So those are always good. Um you know, like the Mountain House, I'll throw those in a fajita. So I'll bring in some fajitas. That always works pretty good for me. Um, yeah, you know, the first couple days, you can really get away with some good food that'll keep. You know, you can you can do the 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 peanut butter bacon sandwiches, or you can do you know you, you can get a a lot to last, and it just depends what I what I've eaten recently. Sometimes I'll go with like. Um, chicken and rice um, burritos that's pre-made that'll be wrapped that I'll use for the first day or two. So I can get some things to last for the first couple days. Um, I also run um, salami or summer sausage and string cheese and crackers. Um, that works well for me. Um, yeah, just a, just a lot of snack stuff. Seems like you're always on the go, so I'm always eating nuts and trail mix and, and uh, jerky and things of that nature. But um, you know, it, it works good to, to write it out. I've been doing it so many years now that I, I kind of know what I like and what I need in my pack and I just kind of go grocery shopping. And then the best way to do it is to break it down per day. So count your calories, put everything you need for one day in a Ziploc and that's day one, everything you need in, in day two in a Ziploc and that's day two. It takes up a little bit more room in your pack than if you just pack it all together. So if I'm short on space, you know, I will pack it all together, but I definitely lay it out and I count calories, make sure. I've got enough food for the days I want to be in. And then it seems like if I pack for seven days, I can almost always stretch it to eight days. So um, I, I just know that if I pack for five, I'm good for six, you know. So um, a, a lot of times I'll use this, and, and I can't tell you how many times I, I've made an extra day out of the food that I have, and I end up killing a buck or a bull that day. Like just one more day, just one more chance. And so I use that a lot in the backcountry is, is using my leftover food to get one more day of hunting in the mountains. Um, so that seems to, to work pretty good for me. And, and really, I mean, um, that's, you know, I bring my phone, um, you know, and I, you know, I haven't brought a charger in the past. Chargers get pretty heavy, but they make some pretty small lightweight ones now where you can get one or two charges, um, on your phone. So, you know, if you're, you know, I'm doing like a lot of these Insta stories here lately, or if I need to be in touch with anybody, uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely bring that. Um, oh, I, I bring a Delorme messenger. It's just safety in the backcountry, And a lot of times I'm hunting by myself. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll have that so I can message my wife and message out. And, and also, you know, it's, um, one of those things that if you ever needed it, you know, it could save your life, uh, especially by yourself. If you took a spill, if you broke something, you know, you could, you could always message out. Um, so that's, that's always in my pack. And I also try to carry that on stocks as well. So I don't ditch my pack and I don't have my Delorme messenger, uh, always have my headlamp oh that's another small don't want to forget your headlamp you forget any of this stuff and uh you know you're you're in bad shape on a wilderness hunt so you know you have to be a minimalist but you also have to be an essentialist <laughs> you have to bring all the essential items to to be able to get through but i always bring a headlamp my headlamp has a lock on it so you know a, 
some extra AAA batteries are not a bad idea. Sometimes I'll just use the lock on my headlamp and just figure I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make sure it's off every day. You know, that way I have light at night and I can make those batteries last. But again, that's a, a risk first uh, reward. So, you know, if um, it, it's not that much to throw a couple extra AAAs in there and, and probably not a bad idea. So headlamp, um, gosh, what else? I wish I had my pack right here in front of me. Um, you know, my, my little small bags. Um, oh, I like to, uh, so this is an important one is to have something to keep your stuff dry. Um, definitely have like a, uh, uh, what do they call that? Uh, it's a waterproof bag or a waterproof, uh, roll up bag, dry bag. I don't know why I couldn't think of dry, but um, a dry bag to put your sleeping bag in, a dry bag to put your clothes in. Um, you know, I, I've always got paracord with me. That way I can hang up my food if I'm in grizzly country. Um, can hang it up a- away from my camp. And so I'll use one of those dry bags that I had my sleeping bag in because I'll be sleeping in my sleeping bag and then I'll use that to hang my food up. Um, it's another question I got in grizzly country and I've hunted a ton in grizzly country and um, you know, it's, um, well, let, let me, uh, let me go back a little bit. Let's cover, let's finish up on packs and on gear, and then we'll move into safety in the back country. Cause there's a lot of stuff that pertains to that. So, um, so my packs, um, and weight kind of differs. It depends how much water you're going to bring in. I, I'm always strategizing where I can get water. I'm looking for the lake. I'm looking for the last creek. Or if I've been in the spot, I know I can get water. You know, I know I only need to pack 32 ounces to get in, and then I'll make it to water, and I'll fill up all my water. And so, you know, it just, like, to to pack 160 ounces of water, I mean, every 16 ounces is a pound. You're talking 9, 10 pounds of water. So that's tough to throw that in your pack and and think that you're going to hike to the top of the mountain. So I'm always looking for the last spot to fill up my water. Um, so my pack weights, and I don't have a hard rule for this, um, but but like a 10-day pack with my scope, uh, with my tripod, with 32 ounces of water and all my food, I usually come in um, around 40 to 43 pounds is uh, usually where I like to be for a long expedition, like a 10-day expedition. Um, for five days, I like to be more around the 36, 37 pounds with my scope. Uh, if I don't have a scope, um, you know, then then definitely you're five pounds lighter than that. Um, you know, and then for like a three day or, you know, I'm shooting for around 30 pounds with my scope and, and, uh, you know, 30 pounds, boy, you can, you can travel a lot of miles with it. You can hunt with your pack on your back at 30 pounds, but, um, so that's kind of like where I like to shoot for, for my pack weights. Um, like I say, 40 to 43 for a long expedition, um, around 35 for like a five day or, and then, uh, for a three day or I'm, I'm getting right around 30 pounds. Uh, that's all with my scope and with my tripod. So, um, where do I camp at and how do I go about hunting the backcountry? Um, okay. So, um, what I'm looking for in a backcountry spot when I'm scouting, um, you know, I'm definitely looking for feeding features. I'm looking for vantage points. I'm looking for the right type of country that holds mule deer. And it's, it's tough to explain, as you know, it, it comes with experience. It comes with hunting all these different spots and looking at all these different spots on Google Earth and then being able to transpose that information to different mountain ranges. And so, you know, I look for mountain ranges that historically hold deer that I know decent deer numbers are. Um, and, and then I start dissecting the high country and finding the mountain peaks. I look at the trails. I look at the roads. And I, I'm just trying to find, 
you know, place through the backcountry where I'm looking at, uh, you know, I love like bold basins that are in the shape of a bowl that are alpine basins that have, um, you know, snow in them. And then that snow will, will melt and it'll keep those basins real lush and green all summer long. Those mule deer love that. Uh, I love big south facing, uh, feeding features where I can get a good vantage point and glass over all of that. Um, but I'm looking for a chain of spots in the backcountry. I'm looking for a spot where I can take off at the trailhead, and if I don't find them here, I keep working down this ridge, and I'll look at this drainage and this drainage. And if I don't find them there, I've got a next spot. And so I'll chain these spots together so I can keep traveling until I find the bucks. Um, so, so I'm looking for good habitat. As far as elk, I'm looking for, for big drainages that I can glass over. If I don't find them there, you know, I want to chain it together with another drainage. And so I'll do my scouting kind of that way. I love moving ridge lines and things of that nature that'll really move you through country and you'll be able to look at a lot of it. And then my strategy for camping spots, like, um, so, um, you know, it's not a hard rule of setting a base camp or moving with my camp on my back. I kind of go with the feel of the hunt. So I'll stick on my backpack and I'll either have a spot picked out where I'm going to rest up that night or I'll just take off hiking and just glass along the way and I'll I'll find a spot along the way. But usually what I'm doing is I, I'm hiking and I'm going to find a spot to camp that night, usually before nightfall. Um, you know, sometimes I'll hike throughout the dark to get to a camp spot that I know about, but usually before nightfall, before even my evening glassing session, I'm finding a camping spot. Now, um, I'll, I'll set my stuff there and then I'll go glass, see what I see. You know, if I, if I see what I'm looking for, then I'm going to keep my camp there and I'm going to hunt there in the morning and go up to the hill. If I don't see what I'm looking for, a lot of times in the morning, I'll pack up my camp in the dark and then I'll start moving with my camp on my back and I'm, I'm glassing and I'm trying to get to a different spot to base camp out of. Now, once I can find deer, or I can find elk, then I'll camp in that spot and I may adjust my camp and, and you don't want to be right on top of them inside their drainage. You kind of want to be out of it or just over the top but to where you can get to a vantage point quickly and look. Now, um, safety always plays a huge role in where I camp. So um, safety of a backcountry spot, number one on mule deer is, is always lightning safety. So um, I used to camp on the ridgelines and on the peaks and the saddles and really watch the weather. I don't risk it anymore. I've rode out enough of those storms and I've seen enough high country lightning hit those high spots that I just do not mess around with it anymore. Um, I'd rather camp 500 feet down in a valley, uh, get in the timber where I feel safe and secure and I know I can ride out a storm where in the middle of the night, I'm not trying to scramble in a rain and lightning storm trying not to get barbecued. So for me, um, I won't camp on the main ridge lines. I get down off the ridge lines. I, I get down into a basin, a little group of trees, something like that, and, and try to get off those those main high points where I can ride out a storm. Now, I still am trying to camp up as high on the mountain as I as I feel safe. So I want to be 500 feet off the off the peaks or off the main ridge line, as that's usually where the lightning's going to strike. I also like to be you know, not by the tallest tree, but in a group of trees and, and set up in there um, and, and feel pretty safe doing that. The other thing you want to look at when you're camping up there is you want to make sure there's no widow makers. So no leaning trees, no dead trees, nothing leaning that can fall over your tent in the middle of the night. Because I've had to ride out some gnarly lightning storms up there. I mean, or uh, excuse me, gnarly wind storms up there. I mean, the wind up in that high country, there's nothing slowing it down. I mean, it can blow 70, 80, 90 miles an hour out there on a bad windstorm. So you also have to be tucked in there. 
Um, so I always look for widow makers, look to get down off lightning. Um, when I'm hunting in grizzly country, um, whether it's deer or it's elk, um, I always try to get off the, you know, any spur ridge line. I try to get off any main trail and I want to get tucked back in the thickest little group of trees I can. If I'm in the thickest little group of trees, that grizzly doesn't really have a reason to walk in there. You know, he's, he's going to walk the main trails, main ridge lines, even at night. And he's not going to bump into my camp. I feel safe that way. And so I'm always like off the beaten path when I'm camping in grizzly country. I always, I also keep an extremely clean camp when I'm in grizzly country. Um, I don't even eat by my tent. I'll eat a hundred yards away. I always hang my food up downwind. And, and this is a hard rule that you have to follow every night is, is hanging up your food, getting it away from your tent. It's just safe camping. Uh, also never eat food in your, in your tent, never have food in your, in your bag. Like sometimes like the mistake is made sometimes where you leave food in your backpack from the day's hunt and then you have your backpack in your tent and that's a no, no in grizzly country. Um, but you keep a safe camp. Um, you know, in, in grizzly country's tough. It really messes with your mind as you think about grizzly, especially when you're by yourself or like, you know, when you, I'm in my local home range here, there's attacks every single season. And so you really got to keep your wits about you. You know, I just try to give these grizzlies a, a wide berth. If I see them, I try to stay out of their way. I try not to camp. Like you can see where they like to, you know, I'm not sure if it's where they like to den at, but it's definitely like where they like to live at. You'll see piles of scat here and there and everywhere. You, you know, that's probably not a good spot to set up your bivy sack. You know, you stay away from those places where you're seeing a lot of bear sign. Um, always keep a clean camp and then camp out of the way spots, off main trails, off main ridge lines, uh, off main travel corridors, kind of in the thick brush where that grizzly really has no reason to come in there and check you out. Uh, the other thing I'll do a lot of times is like I'll pull limbs and, and, uh, branches and, and, and even, you know, uh, small trees and things of that nature and I'll kind of block paths that come through my camp or I'll, I'll kind of barricade my camp in there a little bit. And it, it's just like an early warning sign. Like if something does come in, I'm going to hear it. I'm going to hear it stepping on the trees. It's also, you know, it's, it's going to impede that grizzly from coming in like if he runs into that branch he's going to go around it and therefore go around your camp and so i kind of try to barricade myself in that way too um and then just keep your wits about you you know it's it's uh it the most challenging thing a hunting in grizzly country is uh mentally keeping in the game those those grizzlies are spooky i mean they're absolute monsters out there they are monsters roaming our forest i mean forget bigfoot grizzly is scary enough in the mountains like that thing is made with tooth and claws and they're so physically strong you know and and they're monsters, but you know they're they're not out to hunt you. They're not out to get you. In fact, you know you you run into ten grizzly bears. Nine of them are going to go the other way faster than a whitetail would run away from you. It's just that one you get with a bad attitude, or the sound the cubs is what you really got to look out for. Those moms they can, um, uh, you know they they can be tough to deal with, and so you definitely got to steer clear of them. And then, um, you know, the, or you just run into that one with a bad attitude or the other bad scenario is running into, uh, a bear that's on a kill. So if there's ever an elk killed in the area, uh, steer clear of the carcass, like stay away from that spot. Don't camp by that spot. Know it's there. And, and it just isn't worth bumping a grizzly on a carcass. Um, 
Let's see, what else about grizzly safety? Um, I say a lot of it's in your head, but I mean, they're real out there and it's real danger and your life is in your hands. So I totally understand it. And, you know, I, um, I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I don't think about it in grizzly country. I, I think about it too. And I think about my safety and coming home to my family and making the right moves. But once you get comfortable back there, they're not everywhere. They're not hunting you. You stay out of their way and they pretty much stay out of yours. Um, you know, if I if I do encounter a grizzly, like um, the the tough thing when you encounter a grizzly is if you run into them under a hundred yards, under a hundred yards, and surprise a grizzly. That grizzly then has to decide fight or flight. Like it has to make a decision right then and there. And that grizzly can make the fight decision and come right at you. And those things can run up to forty miles an hour. So. Um, always be ready. Always, you know, I've ran bear spray for years. You know, lately I started running a pistol again. I did run a pistol when I was younger. You know, now I'm running a pistol and bear spray or, you know, I've got away with just running bear spray for quite a few years because it's lighter and, um, you know, even bringing in two cans, but always have it accessible. Uh, bear spray in your pack does you no good. Um, so always be ready and prepare yourself mentally for running into a grizzly and how you're going to handle the situation. But if I run into them in a hundred yards, I'm not going to yell at him right away. I, I mean, I will if that thing sees me and is walking towards me, then I want to let it know I'm a human and that, you know, I'm going to wave my arms and I'm going to yell at it and I'm going to try to deter it from coming to check me out. But if I see it inside 100 yards and it doesn't see me, I'm going to try to back the heck out of there and never let that bear know I was there. Um, that way you just don't give them the, the chance to fight or flight. You back out of there, give them a wide berth and, and, uh, you're good. So that's kind of how I handle those things. And, uh, you know, I get comfortable around bears because I hunt them all spring long. I see 30 to 50 bears a season, including multiple grizzly bears. And I've been in, in close proximity of grizzly bears a bunch before while hunting. And so, you know, I've got real comfortable and familiar with being around them and how to handle them and, um, how to keep my wits about me. Um, a lot of it is mindset. Uh, but but that's how I keep a clean camp in grizzly country. So when you're finding a camp spot, lightning, uh, look for widow makers, and then um, grizzly bear safety, and uh, and uh, that's what I always consider in a camp. And it's tough to find something that that it, that's perfect, um, but you just try to find the, the the best that you can with all those situations. Like you you definitely don't want to be sleeping in the middle of the night and be worried about a tree falling on you. You definitely don't want to be worried about a lightning storm. You know, a lot of times I make a lightning plan, so I used to camp on the tops a lot. And if a really bad lightning storm came in in the middle of the night, I had this lightning plan to get out of my tent and ride out the storm down lower and in the trees. Um, and uh. It, it was a nightmare. I, I had to put in place my lightning plan a couple times where I was camped up on the ridge, lightning storm came in, and then I'm down there in my rain jacket, huddled in a ball with rain pouring down, lightning all around me, and I'm not getting struck, but I'm getting soaking wet. You know, it's the middle of the night. It's a nightmare. Like, you just want to set up your tent where you can ride out one of those storms, where you can sit in your tent and feel comfortable that you're not going to get struck. And I mean... They're spooky. You guys have heard me talk about it before. Those things are spooky in the high country, but, um, you know, it's these challenges that you just got to prepare yourself for if you're going to be a wilderness hunter or a backpack hunter and, and you're ready to handle them and you, you, you know the right moves to make and then you put them into place, you know, each and every day when you're choosing your camp spot and then also when these bad scenarios come up, you know, when you do run into a grizzly or do run into a bad lightning storm, you know how to handle the situation. So that's kind of how I go about uh, choosing my camp. Um, yeah, and I kind of talked about, um, 
you know, my strategy when I'm backpack hunting is it's always to get into the deer, get into the elk. And so, you know, I'll, I'll find a spot to camp for that night. I'll look at that vantage point. If they're there, I'll keep hunting that spot. If they're not, then I pack up my camp and I'm rolling with my camp on my back and kind of hunt along the way. And then I'll get to another good drainage or another good basin and it's middle of the day and I'll go, well, I definitely don't want to walk by this in the middle of the day. I got to look at this at a prime time. I got to look at this at a morning or an evening when animals are moving, when I'm going to see animals. So now I'm going to find a camp spot around here. And so then I'll find my camp spot. I'll look at it that evening and then I'll just weigh out my options. Did I see the deer I was looking for? Did I see a big buck? Well, I didn't see a big buck, but I saw, you know, 12 different bucks. There's bucks in this area. I'm going to hang it out for another morning, see what I see tomorrow morning, or I don't see what I'm looking for. I'm going to pack up my camp and keep moving. And so, um, you know, I'm mobile, but I'm not always hunting with my pack on my back. I'm usually choosing a little base camp spot. That's where I'm going to base camp out of. You know, I may only stay in spots one night and then the next day I'm in a different spot. Next day I'm in a different spot until I can find those animals. And then once I find those animals, then I'll camp in that spot. And I may find that, you know, I'm finding animals over the ridge a little bit. Like sometimes when you camp in a spot, you go to your vantage point, don't see what you're looking for. But it's like, okay, from this camp, now I can travel the other direction and go over that ridge and see what's over there. And so I'll camp in the same spot and then the next day I'll go up over that other spot and look at that drainage see if I see what I'm looking at say if I see deer in there and go oh this spot's good in here you know I might move my camp a little bit closer to that position um so so that's kind of how I how I tackle um you know the the moving of my camp or do I hunt mobile or do I hunt out of a base camp um so let's um gosh I'm I'm pushing an hour and 10 minutes already. I think I could do 10 episodes on backpack hunting. Um, I just love it so much. It, it's, um, God, it's like the, the most rewarding hunting is you have to work so hard at it, but also the experience you get. It really is you in the wilderness. You know, it's, it's not coming back to a truck or back to a hotel or, uh, back to a lush camp, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's you in the mountains, living in the mountains, days on end, and and that's what I really enjoy. Um, I, I really enjoy immersing myself in that backcountry, and and two, you're seeing some of the most beautiful country that that anywhere in the West has to offer. You know, you're getting back into the most remote uh, backcountry that you can find, and I, I also think that's where the biggest animals grow up. They grow up where there isn't pressure, and and whether that's finding a spot that nobody's getting to, or if it's getting way back in the in the wilderness, you know, that's that's where big ones live. I mean, that's how I've that's how I've harvested my big ones. You know, all all my biggest animals have been way back in the wilderness. That's where I get them. Um, so I just, I love to hunt it so much and it's, um, it, there's such a learning curve to it, to being effective and it is so extremely difficult. I mean, all my training all year long, it's not so I can truck camp effectively. I mean, it's so I can hunt that wilderness. It is so grueling. Like I say, the miles you have to put on and just surviving back there, but then the elevation and carrying your backpack and, um, it, it, it's just, uh, so physically demanding. That's what keeps me training hard year after year. So, um, gosh, all right. So I've been talking for quite a while. Let me get here, um, on my, uh, Instagram account. I just want to make sure that I cover all your guys' questions that you guys, um, responded to this morning with that, uh, post I made. Um, I just love the, the support you guys. This is so cool. This podcast, um, this, this, um, community that we've built together. Uh, it's just so awesome. I mean, 
you know, I'm here to help you guys and try to answer questions and put out really good content, get the most out of our guests, get the most for the podcast. But, you know, you guys are also helping me every chance you get, which is so nice. Like, um, you know, hunting is, is such a, you know, spots are so secretive and, and, uh, for good reason, it takes a long time to find a good spot. And then you actually have quality hunting. You, you can't just share it with the world or you have everybody in there, but gosh, our listeners, they're, they're so good at, um, at offering up help or offering up knowledge to me when I'm traveling to different spots or hunting different spots. Uh, I, I've had so many offers, which is just, uh, it just blows my mind. Um, what a great community we're building. So I just can't thank you guys enough. Um, all right, let's look at these comments. God, I got, um, this is, uh, hopefully I covered everything we wanted to talk about. 27 comments for me on a, on a post is pretty good. Okay, first one um, from Flybum101. What do you use to clean your hands in the backcountry? Um, I don't. I, I am a, I'm pretty dirty in the backcountry. I'm not a germaphobe. Uh, you know, I'll wash them in a creek here or there, but uh, I really don't worry about it too much. Now, um, that being said, um, you know, doing your business, that's another essential thing you need in your pack that I didn't mention to you guys. Uh, toilet paper is always a good thing in a waterproof container. Uh, that That's pretty essential for the backcountry. But, um, so let's, I, you know, I don't, I don't use anything to clean my hands, but I don't think it's a bad idea to start bringing some wipes in the backcountry. I know I have a lot of buddies that bring wipes and, um, so let's get really crude here for a second. Like, um, when you're in the backcountry and you're using up so much energy, you're using up every single ounce of calories in your body. And you'll find that you won't have a bowel movement for a couple days when you start in the backcountry because your body's just trying to use up all that energy. Well, it, it uses up all those calories and, and absolutely everything it can, can out of your system. And then the waste, um, when you do have a, a movement, um, is the worst ever. It's like tar. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, so it's so crude, but it's, it's, uh, so sticky and so tough to clean. Like, um, and it's gross. I know. Um, but I, this is reality. Okay. You want to know about backcountry hunting? This is reality. And so toilet paper, you'll burn up a bunch of that trying to get clean. And I always like, uh, like guys reference, like, Oh, you just, uh, use toilet paper to clean. Like, what would you do if you got crap on your arm, you know, or something, you wouldn't just wipe it off with toilet paper and leave it. It'd be gross. You'd, you'd have crap all over your arm. You know, you'd, you'd use a wet wipe or something. I don't know why it's any different when you're, when you're wiping, you know, but, uh, I think some wet wipes in the backcountry would be a welcome addition to um, anybody's pack um, as well as mine and then you could use those to clean your hands so um, gosh dang what a what a horribly crude tip but you know I'm, I'm just being absolutely honest in the backcountry so yeah I don't use anything to clean my hands I'm not much of a germaphobe I'll use a crick now and again but I think I will add some um, wet wipes to my backcountry kit all right um Okay, next question. How do you decide where to camp in relation to where the animals are? Um, in parentheses, how do you balance convenience with caution in picking a camp location? Okay, so we talked about camp location, and this is a this is a really good one as, um, you know, every situation is different where you find animals, but you definitely don't want to camp too close to them. If I, you know, I will definitely side on the air caution. Um, uh 
err on the side of caution, I guess is the saying I was looking for. It, you always, I always hate it when I say something wrong and I was like, I hear it in my own head and go, no, that's not quite right. And then it, then I had to think about it for a second to make sense. But err on the side of caution when you find animals. If you spook them out of there, you got to start over again with locating animals. And a lot of times locating a trophy is the, is the toughest uh, toughest thing to, to get done on a backcountry hunt. And so um, when I find animals... I never try to camp on the same face as them. I always want to be like over a ridge line, or I want to be off the vantage point or down below them where I can get a view of them. And, and the best thing is, is to be able to keep tabs on animals. So, you know, maybe I'm camping where I got a three to 500 foot climb up and then I can see where the bucks are living or I'll camp down below them where I can, you know, keep a, keep a clean, quiet camp, but I can poke out and I can look up on the hillsides and I can keep tabs and look for bucks right out of camp that way. And so, you know, I always err on the side of caution as I don't want to camp too close to animals. So if I see them in a basin or a drainage and I find deer that I'm hunting, I won't camp in that drainage. I'll camp a drainage over and then walk up and look at that. Or, you know, I, I'll camp over the, the side of a ridge, but I never re- want to really camp right around those animals where they're going to see me or they're going to catch me or I'm going to spook them. When you're backcountry hunting, um, you're most effective when those animals don't know that they're being hunted. And so... You know, I want to plan this slow, methodical stock on them, so I want to keep tabs on them until they make a mistake, but I don't want to bump them just walking out of camp or trying to get to my vantage point. So um, I always try to camp uh, out of the drainage that I'm hunting uh, as far as animals go. All right. So, um, God, I like this question and answer. This is really good for content, and then I, I get to cover the exact questions that you guys are answering. And a lot of this I covered, so we'll just go over some of it quick. Do you always carry a stove or have pre-made meals for shorter trips and only a certain number of days decide it's worth packing a stove? So that's exactly right. So Dylan 509 backcountry. Um, yeah, Dylan, you're spot on. Uh, if I'm going for three days, I will not pack a stove most times. Uh, the other thing you can do is with when you're with a buddy is you can share weight. You can bring one two-man tent in. Um, and, and then share the weight between you guys, or you bring one stove between you guys, you know, and, and that way you can cut weight that way. Or like what we'll do is we'll bring one scope. So we'll only bring one scope, one tripod. One guy carries a scope, other guy carries a tripod. So if you're buddy hunting, there's ways to save on weight. And, uh, yes, I try to ditch my stove whenever I, whenever I'm going on shorter trips. Pack dumps are awesome. Love comparing my gear to others and possibly tweaking my system for better. Okay, I think we covered what was in my pack. What kind of necessity, uh, necessary materials and supplies do you take? Do you prefer a lighter load with not much in it or a heavier load to make sure you have everything you need? I definitely take a lighter load. Uh, minimalist mindset. The lighter that pack weight, the better and more effective, the more efficient I am. And uh, I can I can make do without a lot of times. I'm not going to bring in a camp chair. I'm not, I'm not going to make sure I'm comfortable. I'm sorry, my dog's uh, having a dream here that he's running, he's whining a little bit. Um, but yeah, I always try to go lighter rather than heavier. Gunny, you having a dream? You running, bud? Oh, I know. Did Oh, I woke you up, huh? From a good nap? I know. Got to be quiet. We're doing a podcast today, bud. All right. Um, so let's go on the next one. Um, what do you use for water purification? Uh, if so, do you boil water or use clean drops? What kind of drops? So, um, I don't use the drops. A lot of guys use these drops and, um, seems to be a pretty good system for them. Um, there are some drops without, uh, flavor in them. Um, 
but yeah, I don't. I use the iodine pills as a backup, and then I use that uh, that that light I was talking about earlier. Um, what are the weaknesses of each backpacking system that you run? What do you do when those weaknesses are exposed? For example, you are deep in the high country and you have a tarp, ground cloth, and a down bag during early mid-season and a cold, rainy, or even snowstorm shows up. What then? Um, you know, I'm usually prepared for these. Like sometimes these storms will come in um, and, and I, you know, I usually have a pretty good system, but I mean, he's right. Like you, you always expose weaknesses in your system when you're out hunting and, um, you know, like, like for instance, bringing a bivy sack and running into a rainstorm, um, you, you have to manage it as it comes and you have to be a good problem solver. Like even the best tent, if you know, it rains two inches, all of a sudden you got a river running inside your tent. So you got to get out and you got to channel this water around your tent so it's not running right underneath it. And so I just do a good job of adapting on the fly and staying the course and trying to be tough. Of course, you, you can't get hypothermia back there and you can't push it too far. You got to know when to quit if the elements are too much. But I haven't had the elements drive me out of the woods for a long time. It seems like I'm always prepared and I always deal with it. You know, if something gets wet, you're drying it off with a fire after the storm. Um, so I think it's just a matter of uh, adapting to the conditions that you get and being over to being able to overcome them. Um, so, you know, definitely if you find a, a weakness in your system or if you do go too lightweight, you can pay for it. Um, but you have to be good at adapting on the fly. So I would say that's, you know, that's my biggest asset in, in hunting the mountains is being able to adapt to the conditions I'm given. Like, um, you know, if I'm getting, uh, bad gnarly lightning storms and I'm only 500 feet off the peaks and it's blowing me up every night and I'm not in a real safe spot, like I'm going to change. I'm going to move lower on the mountain and climb more every day so that I'm not living in that, that tough lightning storm. Now, usually 500 feet off the peak is, is plenty to ride out lightning storms. But I remember like this one trip I had to Colorado and it was every afternoon they were the this giant nuclear lightning storms and you could see them coming in you re get really good at reading weather when you're in the back country and which directions it comes from which way the clouds are moving you try to always pay attention to this and uh i mean it was every day if not twice a day one night was all night long i had to put a lightning plan in place it was a nightmare and so you know i ended up adapting and you know at, at the adapting like I had a couple choices. I could go live out of my truck and then hunt every day, hiking in six to 10 miles to hunt this place, or I find a place lower to camp. And of course, you know, I love the backcountry experience and I love tackling these challenges head on and being able to overcome them. And so, you know, my decision was to camp down lower and down lower. It'd take me a bigger climb to get to the mule deer, but at least I'd be safe every afternoon and evening when these giant lightning storms would roll in and try to blow me up. And so, um, I think when you do get a, a weakness exposed or you do have problems with your system, you just have to be able to adapt and take care of yourself. Um, so that would that would be the, the biggest thing, I'd say. Um, maybe start off with a quick run-through with what's in your pack, then explain the why, then hit the detailed questions. Get the big picture at first and then hone in on the micro aspects. Keep up the good work. It was Kyle Hansen. Yeah, I think we I think we covered it. I think I went in depth at what I use and why and what the options to those are and how it is personal preference. Uh, it's weight versus comfort. 
Um, you know, and you can, you don't have to have my exact, exact system, you know, no two people are alike. No two mindsets are alike. Um, you got to make sure that you can live and be comfortable back in the backcountry, And, and ultimately your backpack has to carry all the items to, to keep you alive and functioning at a high level for multiple days. And so everybody's pack's going to be a little bit different. I just always say, you know, keep that weight in mind as, as weight is exertion. Um, it's the equalizer and, and, um, and, uh, you know, then to, to, to go through your pack after each time, break down what you have in there, what you didn't use, what you did use, things you could add. You're just always fine-tuning your sli- system. Um, please discuss your first aid kit. Okay, this is the one I, I saw earlier. Please discuss your first aid kit. Ran into too many guys without one last year in the mountains. They left it at camp or in the truck. You know, I, I am the same. I have my emergency kit. I've got my tape, my super glue. Um, I've got my Advil, you know, I will have my Benadryl since my cousin ran into those bees last year, but, uh, it's a real minimalist first aid kit. I'm not going to pack a five pound first aid kit into the mountains that, that I'm, you know, that I'm hardly ever going to use or only going to need an emergency. I've got enough to get through to get me out of the mountains. Uh, Also, the Delorme is a major part of my first aid system. It's being able to contact help if I need it or search and rescue, uh, which I never have. And I hope to never have to use, but I always have that in my pack. And it's like, um, you know, it's, it's the insurance that makes sure that I'm going to come home to my family each and every hunt. Okay. What pack do you use last year's backpacking pack? Didn't shoot anything. Probably the best. Tons. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm kind of reading. It's a it's a long question here, so I'm just trying to get the uh, what his point is here. Is says he's he's looking for a pack. He's thinking about Mystery Ranch. Uh, there's a there's a bunch of really good packs out there. Um, you just want a, a pack that's going to pack the weight well, and then like I say, you want to find one that doesn't weigh too much to start with. Um, so I've been using these Everly stocks here for the last year or so and, uh, went to those, um, and I'm having good luck with them. I'm using the little big top seems to be doing really good for me. Um, you know, and I've also used, a uh, I've used about every brand out there and they, they just, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of really good packs, really good brands. Um, just check out how it fits you make sure you can get the load on your hips, um, you know, get the load off your shoulders that it's got all the adjustments that'll pack heavier loads for when you do harvest an animal and, uh, the right cubic inch to, to fit your needs. And we went over that earlier. I can get by on 3,500 to about five days or so. And then after that, you may need a bigger pack or if you're, you know, if you have all small items or your, your uh, backpacking system is dialed, then you can make 3,500 work for a 10 day Another one about pack here. Um, okay, he talks about uh, being able to use it for a day pack as well away from base camp. And he's right. You want a pack that compresses down to your back so you don't just have this huge heavy pack hanging off you for your day hunt. So always nice to find a pack that really compresses down to your back that you can day hunt comfortably with. Are there any benefits to setting up a spike camp? Like taking a heavy backpack in a ways and then doing like one day trips with a bivy from there yeah i think absolutely Uh, i'm trying to think where i put this in place but if you've got a group of guys that are going in you might base camp in the same spot and then take a small bivy camp from there and always be able to return to that base camp i mean for me it's just too much too many logistics you know carrying that heavy camp in there um, having that heavy camp that i have to come back to like i just want to carry my whole camp with me everywhere i go um, and then be able to sleep there and then make it out of the mountains with, with my deer, with my bull, you know, when I kill him. So for me, I don't usually run that 
base camp and then run a bivy camp from there. But I, I could see where under the right circumstances uh, that would be beneficial. Um, okay. Hunting in grizzly country. What are the precautions you take? Where to locate camp? In the open? In a tighter closed area? Food storage? Any other precautions? Um, I know some other hunters will pack a small portable electric fence. Yeah, I've seen guys using these small portable electric fences for sleeping in the backcountry, and um, I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't know how effective they are from stopping a thousand-pound grizzly from coming into your camp, but, um, you know, if it makes you sleep a little better at night, I mean, you know, a little shock would deter them, but it can't be that big of a battery or that big of a shock. Um, you know, I don't want to down the grizzly fence systems. I've seen a lot of guys using them on Kodiak. I don't see it too much here out west. Um, but I went through my grizzly safety and what I go about. And, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of nights in grizzly country. And I haven't had any problems. Now, maybe I'm just lucky. I know I could run into the wrong one. But I'm real comfortable in grizzly country. And I, I just try to keep safe, keep a really clean camp. Um, like I say, I don't cook in my near my tent. I don't eat near my tent. Uh, definitely don't have any food in my tent. Hang up my food each and every night. I tuck back in the brush off main trails and, and main travel routes, and um, that, that tends to keep me pretty safe back there. How about covering water and use management? Yeah, I think we covered that. Shoes and boots are you using? Um he says here that he struggled here on deciding between a running trail shoe or a stiff hiking boot. Like to hear your thoughts on it. Okay, so I think I went through that. I use a light running shoe or the the lighter hiking boot. I mean, I, you know, they tell you that you can't pack heavy loads with it. I mean, I I packed hundred plus pound packs with an entire deer in my camp and I'm in tennis shoes. So um, I have pretty strong ankles. My feet do good with those. They will get sore if you're side hilling all day. And in something like tennis shoes, that's where like a mid height boot would be good. Um, but I always try to go as light as I can for me. And and again, I think it comes down to preference, what you like and what you're comfortable with and, and what you wear day in, day out. One of my favorite topics, can't wait. That's an easy one. Hey, listen. God, you guys, so supportive. I, I love this. I love the guys I've met on uh, social media as well. Um, I love seeing their photos and supporting what they're doing and um, them supporting me. It's just uh, what a what a great group of guys, us us you know, hardcore hunters are, um, just so, so cool to see all the support and positive encouragement and you know, not only with me, but with other guys too. I, I see your guys' same messages on other people's posts and, and, uh, other people's pages. And, uh, I just think it's so great if we can all be positive and help encourage each other, uh, just building a, a, a quality community of, of uh, backcountry hunters. What are the GPS coordinates at the location of this picture? <laughs> uh, so I won't be answering that. Uh, I think it was a, I think that it was the Nevada buck that I posted this question on. I'm packing out this Nevada buck, and I had to pack the buck in my camp out 20 miles. It took me, um, it took me two full days of, of backpacking. I think I did like. 13 hours of packing that deer and camp out um in the picture you can see this peak way off at the left side and it's like two giant peaks away from me and that's the one i had to go over where my truck was but um i i just love backcountry hunting i love the challenges i've probably never been as sore as i was after that pack out the next day or even getting back to my truck oh my gosh did my truck look nice after that pack out uh but accomplishing that it just gives me such such confidence in the in the hills and confidence on future hunts and and uh um it's it's just such a such such a great sport or such a such a you know backcountry hunting you know is is uh 
it's such a, a neat thing to be able to embark on and challenge yourself with. I just love it so much. Um, optics. Okay. We talked about that. You know, I do think like they make some lightweight 50 mil scopes. Um, I don't think that would be a bad bet. I've tried to use a doubler on my binos before and tried to get away with that. And it just doesn't do what a spotting scope will. So for me, it's, it's binos and a spotting scope binos. Um, I, I really like like the 10 by 42s or the perfect Western bino. And then um, for the scope, uh, I usually go with like the 60 mil objective lens because it's a little bit lighter and then go with the 15 by 45 power, or the 20 by 60 power. Um, all right. What items have you found to be totally unnecessary that many hunters still pack? Um, gosh, that's a tough one. Um, there is though, you see your buddies in the mountains and sometimes they pull out something and you go, well, I would never pack that in the mountains, but I think each guy has to make his own choice. And again, comfort versus weight. And sometimes to pack two extra pounds of something that's going to make you more comfortable and more effective in the backcountry, um, you know, it's worth it. So each, each hunter has to make his own choice, totally unnecessary in the backcountry. Like I would say just unnecessary weight, like too heavy of a pack to start with or too heavy of a tent to be comfortable back there. Um, you know, uh, uh, too heavy of a sleeping bag. You know, they're bringing a zero degree bag when it's not going to get below 40 degrees. And so they're sweating with their bag unzipped the whole time. You know, that's unnecessary weight. But a lot of it, too, comes down to, um, you know, what you can afford. Like we can't all afford you know, all this backcountry gear and even me being a blue collar guy, you know, I've been working on my backcountry gear for 20 years. So that's why I've got three packs and why I've got multiple pads. But, you know, usually if somebody comes, you know, I always ask what they're running and, you know, I'll always loan out gear that I have to my buddies that I'm going camping with, or we'll try to share weight on things. Do you think a spike camp is better or do you pack up each morning and hunt with your camp on your back? So we answered that. Nicole Richards, uh, what is your strategy for trying a new area or unit? How do you start and plan where and how far you want, need to backpack in to get into the big bucks? What do you look for on Google Earth when choosing a hunting area and route to get there? Terrain, water, feed, existing trail. Okay, that's a good one, Nicole. Um, she's a killer, too. She kill, kills some giant bucks. Um, so, yeah, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for, you know, bold basins like I talk about, or I'm looking for multiple features. I'm looking for multiple little basins that I can glass into, multiple spots for mule deer. Um, you know, trails are the handicap ramps of the backcountry. They really get you into country. And so I really like to start at a trailhead most of the time. I mean, sometimes I'll just take off, um, straight up a mountain to make a ridgeline, but for the most part, I'm starting on a trail and then I'll get off that trail to go to places. But, you know, um, I make myself a game plan, you know, Google earth. It just takes years of looking on Google earth and maps and trying to find the country that doesn't have trails or tough to, uh, access or, um, no, or to me that just looks bucky. I've seen enough high country spots to where, you know, I just kind of know what, what looks right and what doesn't. Um, just from experience. And I, I'm not always, I'm not a hundred percent right all the time, but I can usually then link together different spots. Like I was talking, okay, if I don't see him here, I'm going to keep traveling this ridgeline and I'm going to get to this spot or, you know, and, and sometimes it's checking out a spot, working that spot for a couple days and you don't find what you're looking for. I'll come all the way back to the truck and drive to a new trailhead. So sometimes that's the answer, but I really like linking spots together where I can spend multiple days out. And, um, just make sure I answer everything she's asking here. Um, yeah, as far as distance, um, 
you know, I don't have any set distance. I mean, sometimes I find epic spots that are only three, four miles from the trailhead, and sometimes I'll end up 20 miles from the trailhead. Um, you know, it's just a matter of getting away from the pressure, reading the country and seeing, you know, just start turning up bucks with my, with my glass. And so, you know, I'll make a rough game plan, but it's just that it's a rough game plan. It's a starting point. And then I get up there and I have these master vantage points and I sit on these master vantage points and I, you know, do I see big bucks from there? Do I see bucks at all? Where am I seeing deer living? And you just start to get a feeling of the country and you start knowing where to look and where deer are liking. And, and then you can keep moving on and you can transpose that information into different places that you're looking at. And so I make a lot of real time adjustments in the back country. Um, when looking for a new area, like I'm definitely looking for historically good spots. I'm looking for spots where big Boone and Crockett's have come out of, Pope and Young's have come out of, where I know big bucks exist and like that high country. Like there's, you know, high country, a lot of the stuff I'm looking for grass tops instead of rock tops, or at least um, uh, high elevation grass spots. And so the deal is, is if... Um, if the green spots are lower on the mountain, the elk and the deer compete for the same food source and you won't find a lot of bucks where you're finding elk, um, you know, as a general rule. Um, so, you know, I try to find where the, the mule deer have their own spot. So the elk may be down low where the water is and the creek, creek bottoms and south facers down there. And then up higher, they've got grass tops and I know there isn't much water around and that's where the mule deer will live. They can get their feed out of the water, uh, they can get their water out of the feed, out of the condensation and things of that nature. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm just looking for mule deer features. They love to live on tops of the mountains. They love to have little groups of trees they bed in or cliffy spots. Um, you know, and as far as shade, like they love shaded spots in the afternoon, but it's not a hard rule. Sometimes they like shaded spots in the morning. You find them on any slope. Um, you know, usually the north sides are, are lusher and sometimes you'll find deer in those drainages. Sometimes the south sides are huge feeding features that kept green all year. Sometimes you'll find them in those features. You find them on the east, find them on the west, but, um, yeah, I'm just looking for mule deer type habitat and then I'm going in there and I'm grabbing the best vantage points and looking at it. So, you know, I'd, I'd say it's just proofing your research. You know, I no matter how good you get at, at research and, and uh, map study and Google Earth, you, you can't just call it right off the, the, the your computer screen. You have to actually get in the field and whether that's early season scouting, which is um, a huge part of mule deer hunting. If you can get in there in the early season uh, and start finding bucks, then you know there's bucks living in there when you go back to hunt it um, but if not and you're hunting you have to you have to proof it in real time you have to get to those spots you looked at get to those vantage points you looked at and see what kind of deer are living in there and only then will I know if it's a good spot or not so I, I do a lot of my research picking the right unit and making sure there's deer in there and then it's just uh, choosing different locations in the high country and and getting up there and and checking it out and, and seeing what's living up there. So, um, that's kind of how I go about it, um, for, for finding new spots and new locations. What point do you decide to hunt an area with other hunters or hunters around versus deciding to move until you totally find a place for yourself? Oh, what a great question. Um, that's a tough one. Um, gosh, I just don't like to compete a lot in that high country, um, you know, there's going to be people around, but, it, you know, if I'm just trying to think of every scenario when I'm in the high country, and I, I definitely like to get away from, from people. 
Um, but you know, a lot of spots nowadays, like this last spot in Idaho that I hunted, there was people in there in there hunting. And so what I did is I started glassing around, finding the deer. And then I found like this niche ridge where you had to dive off and lose a bunch of elevation and get into these basins that were pretty isolated and there was no hunters in there. So even though there was hunters in the area, there was nobody working this huge ridgeline with like 10 different basins coming off of it, including this main, main basin that, that we camped in. And, um, so I was able to kind of get away from the pressure and find my own niche that I could hunt myself and, and have just me versus the deer. So I'm always trying to get away from pressure. And if I'm seeing guys and I'm seeing them hunt deer, um, that's usually not where I'm going to stay. I'm, I'm usually gonna, gonna go back and I'm going to find a different spot. I'm trying to get away from the pressure and hunt unpressured deer, um, you know, but like in Wyoming a couple of years ago, I scouted it and I knew where the big bucks were living and I got in there and there was guys hunting it. Um, so I, I couldn't, they were actually sitting on the vantage point that I had planned to glass from where I'd seen some giant bucks. So, I, you know, obviously I couldn't go glass from that vantage point. So I just tried to find like my own niche in there. I tried to find this ridge line that didn't have any water. They couldn't get their horses on. And so then I had that all to myself and ended up killing that buck. So I guess I'm always looking to get away from the pressure, but there's always going to be trucks in the trailhead. You're never going to have it to yourself. I mean, you know, some spots I do have to myself. I shouldn't say never. You do get away from the pressure, but it's not uncommon to see trucks in the trailhead, to see hunters in the trailhead. And it's just a matter of getting in that country and starting to figure it out, figure out where the deer are and find your own niche in there. Find your own little spot where you can hunt those things and, and get on bucks and, and run your program. But I'm definitely not going to compete with guys and I'm not going to race them to get stocks on bucks. I just don't think that's the way to kill them. And so, um, I'm going to try to get away from the pressure Um, everywhere I go, everything I do, I'm always trying to find my own little niche, my own little spot. And sometimes it's just down the ridge from somebody, or you have better vantage points and those people didn't turn up bucks and you sit there and watch those bucks all morning. And then you've got a, you know, methodical slow play to make on them. So, you know, you can also make it work to your advantage, but I am always trying to get away from the pressure and best case scenario, I'm going to go back in the Hills and I'm not going to see another person for 10 days. And that does happen quite often, you know, where I just find my own niche, my own basins that I'm hunting. Um, I'm far enough back in that, or not close to water or, you know, whatever the scenario is, but I like to get away from the pressure and run my own deal. So, um, that answers that. Let me, uh, so that's it for the Instagram questions. I think we went through those, man, that's great. I'm going to do this question and answer more. You guys have so many great questions that you, um, want to know about here. So let me just go. Another pack question, um, just about cubic inch here on, uh, Facebook. Um, yeah, so we talked about that. Um, so yeah, I think I got all the question and answers done. All right, so uh, backpack hunting, uh, the the first solo episode on backpack hunting. I'm sure there'll be more in the future. There's so much great information here and, and uh, so much information that I want to get out. Um, so thanks a bunch to uh, listening to my voice. Gosh, we're we're at an hour and 40 minutes. This has been a long podcast, so I better wrap this up, uh, stick an intro and an ending on it, and get it out to you guys. So thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, so, yes, yeah, I heard me talk the whole time on a solo podcast, and then I get back on and do the ending. Um, but just really fun talking about uh, backpack hunting. Um, so I hope I covered all your guys' questions. Um, man, that question and answer was sure a fun um, portion to do, just to make sure that I cover 
all your guys' specific questions. So thanks a bunch for um, writing in the comments there on the social media, Instagram and Facebook, so I could answer those at the end of the podcast. And and uh, yeah, hopefully we loosed a lot of good information on this one. So hopefully it gets you guys ready to um, backpack hunting, backpack hunt uh, the, the wilderness or the backcountry this season. Um, I know it's something, it, it is my favorite way to hunt as you just immerse yourself in the backcountry and you, you really are on your own, everything you can carry. It's just uh, so enjoyable and, and so rewarding, uh, especially well, not only when you're successful, it's just a rewarding way to hunt as you have to work really hard um, it, and it's all done off, off your leg power. And so I just, uh, I really enjoy, uh, backpack hunting and just wanted to share that with you guys. So, um, hopefully you guys enjoyed today's show. Uh, again, I want to thank Everly Stock for sponsoring the show, using a couple of their packs, their little big top here lately and their destroyer. Um, so they just build great products. Uh, they last the test of time. They really build, uh, uh burly good packs and, uh, they have some other, some other products on their website you can check out. Like I mentioned, the bivy sack in the beginning. And um, they they have some other things that I'm going to be checking out on their website and trying out. So thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Um, over there at Eastman's, make sure to check out that promo, 20 bucks for both magazines. Um, I'm sure you can get it on the website or call them up and say you heard about it on this podcast. Um, it's a heck of a deal, and especially as we're coming into applications with that MRS section. So make sure to check that out. And um, with that, just application season here, getting in my runs. Um, yeah, working on the podcast a bunch here. Um, gosh, just just really having fun. Uh, made a quick steelhead trip to some local rivers, or I call them local. They're like six hours away from my house there in Idaho. We did really good, caught some steelhead there, and then um, I'm going to head out to the Olympic Peninsula and do a week out there with some of my buddies. So that's coming up. Going to be taken off the 18th. So i uh, got to get everything in line with the podcast and all my work and make sure I can take off. So it should be a uh, really fun trip as those rivers are just beautiful over there in the rainforest. And a lot of them just run teal, blue, glacial-fed water. And um, the steelhead are so bright. They just come straight from the ocean. You know, you're usually within 15, 20 miles of salt. And there's so many different river systems to fish over there, but man, you hook one of those things and they're out of the water more than they're in and underneath the boat. And it's just an absolute rodeo, you know, hook themselves in a root wad or, you know, you catch a, you land about half the fish you hook, but, um, it, it, it's just unreal. I, I, I just absolutely love this trip and look forward to it every year. So, um, yep. Going to be going on that, leaving here in a, a week or so. So, um, just have to get my work done, have to get my runs in and, and, uh, then I'm going to try to do a couple runs in the rainforest. I just love that, uh, stop and see my grandparents on the way and I'll stay, a, stay a night with them and, uh, talk with them and, and, uh, hang out, have dinner and do that. So, um, yeah, just really looking forward to it. Um, daughters are keeping me busy, uh, basketball and then, um, archery been coaching, um, kids archery here. We just did our NS tournament and we just, uh, turned out this new building for the kids to shoot in and got it all insulated and heat in there and um, shooting range set up and really proud of the way it came out. And so the kids are going to have a place to shoot for years to come here in in our little small community of Venice. And so um, that's been really fun. Uh, The girls shot great at that tournament last weekend. It was my youngest daughter's Katie's first tournament. And uh, I think she broke 200, shot like a 211 or 
214 or something like that. So she did great. Really proud of her. Keep her composure under that high pressure uh, on the line with all the bigger kids. And and, uh, so that was really fun. Uh, Taylor just missed a place. Um, It's just getting more and more competitive. Um, But yeah, she shot a... A 289 out of 300, which is just, it's her best score. I think before that was 287. So she's really improving. I thought she was going to get a, a top three. She ended up in fourth place, but just the way it is, it's just competitive. But I'm just really proud of her for executing her shots the right way. Both my girls have learned how to shoot the right way. And from that, you know, they just keep getting better and better. So um, really proud of them and fun to see them shoot. And Gosh, with that, I've been talking for long enough, <laughs> not only on the podcast, but then uh, on this ending as well. So uh, thanks, guys, for all the support. Thanks for supporting the guests and social media and that. And, and uh, I just wish you guys all the best this season in tag draws and in your hunting season. It's been so fun to see your success here over the last year and um, so fun to share this podcast with you and, and uh, have you guys like it. So um Have a good week. Keep working hard towards your goals, and I'll I'll check in with you next week.